Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. In the second part of HPW Insights chat with Bristow's digital health regulatory expert Jamie Hatzel, we talk about artificial intelligence. Specifically, we discuss what happens to software as a medical device within the incoming EU artificial intelligence legislation, which has now entered trilogue negotiations. Issues such as the meaning of high risk within the proposed AI Act, in contrast to its meaning in the existing medical device regulations, highlight the importance for manufacturers in this space or thinking about entering it of getting good advice, Hatzel points out. In general, the industry is moving, or at least diversifying into helping consumers prevent diseases or be healthier so that they become ill less uh, or less often. So I suppose, you know, thinking about AI, um, it's a really powerful tool maybe to to help you do that. So let's just start with the basics. Um, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge area. This is a huge bit of legislation, but maybe you could just briefly uh, add the EU Artificial Intelligence Act to the kind of uh, regulatory picture that you you painted earlier on. How do SAMDs, how will they function in uh, within that new proposed legislation? First of all, let's take a step back and maybe distinguish those kinds of wellness products from SAMDs. By the sounds of it, you know, a software device which is having some prophylactic effect is helping uh, helping you avoid become ill, becoming ill in the first place may well qualify as, uh, as an SAMD. It also may not. Let's not go there in too much detail. Let's just bear in mind that, you know, could be in, could be out. Um, yeah, and, and then let's go into the AI Act. So first things first. Uh, I mean, AI is a hot topic everywhere in the world right now. You know, the EU is talking about it. The UK is talking about it. The United States is talking about it. There's there's great consternation that, you know, China and other states are getting ahead of the West on this technology and all the rest of it. It, It's it's a huge area and everyone is taking very different and divergent approaches to it. Looking at the EU's approach, that is the AI Act, and that will only apply in the EU and in Northern Ireland, again, because of the Northern Ireland protocol. So it's not really applicable to the UK as such. But of course, when you have legislation of that scale, it's going to end up having some extraterritorial effects. You know, more or less anyone who wants to uh, produce and then commercialize an AI system, which will touch the EU in some way, is undoubtedly going to be affected by the AI Act. So now drilling in a little further again, the AI Act as it relates to software as a medical device. So the AI Act is currently going through the EU's legislative process and is undoubtedly going to be subject to change. But based on the Commission's proposal right now, the AI Act is going to apply to AI systems. as that definition stands right now, that's going to include a great deal of software. And I, I've seen some commentators argue that it captures almost all software. So you've got this incredibly broad definition. 
Then within that, the AI Act pulls out four different categories of AI system that it bites on in different ways. It identifies certain AI systems as being prohibited, that sort of uh, social scoring type systems, that kind of thing, not really relevant to the healthcare space. Then it identifies high risk AI systems, and, and those are the ones that we're going to talk about most here. Those are basically either AI systems which have been identified as being high risk in and of themselves. There's an annex down the back of the AI Act, which lists a whole bunch of different practices that the EU considers to be high risk. And then there are also certain AI systems which are defined as being high risk because they are systems which are either products subject to certain existing EU product safety legislation or their safety components of such products. And that captures medical devices and IVDs. That's where SAMDs come into it there. You've then got a third category of AI systems. These are the limited risk ones. These are basically AI systems where the EU sees um, transparency concerns, basically. So that applies special um, disclosure obligations to AI systems used to make deep fakes, uh, AI systems used for emotional recognition, uh, and AI systems which are designed to interact with people, you know, chatbots and things like that. And then finally, you've got your minimal risk AI systems, and those are the ones where the AI Act says no special regulatory requirements for you. Go about your business. So as I said, the AI Act is mainly about high risk AI systems, and that includes medical devices and IVDs, which are or which incorporate AI systems as safety components and which are subject to conformity assessment by a notified body. As I talked about under EU law, that's basically all of them. Right? It's any SA, more or less any SAMD which incorporates an AI system is going to be affected by the AI Act. Um, now, some commentators have got a little confused here and, you know, they've seen these different risk classifications which arise under the AI Act. And they've looked at the risk classifications which exist under the MDR and under the IVDR. And they've thought, oh, what the AI Act does is it bumps all of those medical devices and IVDs up to the high risk classification. That is not the case. Those risk classifications are, are just separate from each other. They're doing different things. Is really the AI Act is saying these types of device are high risk for my purposes. And the MDR and the IVDR have their separate risk classification rules and each piece of legislation is then separately importing different regulatory obligations based on your risk classification under those individual pieces of legislation. The two don't have any effect on each other, if you see what I mean. So the consequence of being a high risk AI system, as many SAMDs are going to be, is that you're subject to various additional conformity assessment requirements, which will need to be assessed by your notified body at the time when you go to get a CE mark. Um, some of those key additional requirements include like, the training data set that you use to train your AI system has to be relevant, representative, free of errors and complete, which is a staggeringly high bar to clear. And we don't have any clarity right now on what you're going to have to do in order to meet that threshold. Uh, there are going to be certain transparency requirements to ensure that users can interpret the outputs of your AI system. Of course, you're going to have to compile technical documentation which describes and explains how your AI system works. 
you're going to need to ensure that your AI system is designed with an appropriate level of accuracy, robustness and cybersecurity. And your AI system is going to have to be resilient as regards errors, faults or inconsistencies. So basically, there's a whole other layer of conformity assessment requirements being piled on top of your existing requirements, which already are there under the MDR and the IVDR. So, I mean, I think from a from a manufacturer's point of view, or um, you know, either thinking about doing something in the SAMD area or already has an SAMD, you know, they're just going to be thinking this is additional regulatory burden, but they shouldn't be thinking, you know, that their product that they've got in a particular risk classification in the MDR is somehow going to be up classified. You know, this is something we talk about a lot in medicines you know reverse switching or you know up classification or down classification you know that's a easy mistake to make i think for for someone uh, a manufacturer that's operating in the medicine space isn't it but that's not how to think about it no 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 it's not okay great so you know that's usually not welcome additional regulatory burden um but yeah i mean like you said it's all you know, subject to discussion and debate and, and and some of this could change, but that's a really good overview. Now, you mentioned something that I think is quite interesting in the, maybe in the consumer health area, which is chatbots. I mean, this is something that you see a lot in general. You're starting to see it in kind of wellness a little bit where you might have, I've seen uh, like a therapy yeah. uh, avatar, you know, chat, I suppose, maybe chatbots need to be kind of broadly conceived now where they could also be like a kind of interactive, uh, you know, digital person, you know, like an avatar or even like a hologram, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, so, so you've got um, an interactive thing, which is powered by artificial intelligence in some sense um, that is talking you through your health. I mean, you know, is this an SAMD that one, which B would then fall under this AI Act? Well, I mean, chatbots can fulfil all kinds of different roles, but as I have seen some on the market which are basically used to deliver cognitive behavioural therapy to users who are suffering from mental health conditions. And the idea behind that is to treat your mental health condition by guiding you through this kind of therapy. And so in that sense, that kind of chatbot very well could become an SAMD as a digital therapeutic. You know, it's there treating a disease. Uh, now, if you're doing that based on AI, then under the AI Act, there's going to be some additional requirements that are going to come in as well. I mentioned those limited risk AI systems earlier, the ones where the EU sees transparency concerns. Basically, the consequence of the rules associated with those limited risk AI systems is that if you've got an AI based chatbot, which is going to interact with people, you need to design it in such a way that people can tell that they are interacting with an AI system rather than with a real person. I mean, it, it, you can absolutely see why they've gone down that route. You know, the, the last thing that you want is these sort of pseudo unregulated products purporting to be people and calling up little old ladies to steal their bank details. 
Um, but at, at least in the digital health space, it, it, it's fairly easy to think of examples where that requirement to disclose the fact that this is an AI system could actually be quite counterproductive. There was one study recently in which ChatGPT, everybody's favorite generative AI system, which, by the way, is, is just a general purpose AI system, not any kind of specialized mental health tool. In this study, ChatGPT outperformed doctors in terms of the quality and perceived empathy of the advice which it provided to people with medical questions, which is quite staggering. And there was another study which evaluated the potential use of similar AI in mental health treatment, which showed that ChatGPT's responses to particular emotional prompts showed very high levels of emotional awareness, basically being able to pick out all of the different emotions that a human being might be feeling in, in a particular scenario which was described to it. It, it. It's quite easy to imagine how you could use such a chatbot, for instance, as a mental health first aider. You know, you, you could have a suicide prevention hotline like the Samaritans or someone else, which can use this system to ensure that when someone calls them in great distress and thinking of taking their own life, that they will be able to speak to someone or something in this case. Um, and conceivably, that, that could save lives. You know, an AI system is not going to get tired, it's not going to have an off day, and you don't have the same capacity concerns associated with hiring enough people to man your phones because the system can just do it. Um, but if you have to disclose to people that they're talking to an AI system and not a person, that may actually make that intervention less effective. People may well be less receptive if they know that they're not talking to a real person who is, you know, genuinely commiserating with them. They're just getting an automated response out of a machine. So as I'm not really advocating one way or another here, but um, it's quite easy to imagine that that sort of scenario. It's, I mean, it's really interesting. That's the point, isn't it? You know, you have to start imagining these things in a in a future oriented sense. Don't you? I mean, this, I suppose this is the whole thing about AI and regulation. It's it's all there to to address some of these concerns about where it's going, really, isn't it? It's it's the Terminator uh, apocalyptic scenario on the one hand, and you know the utopian, uh, fully automated future on the other, where you know it solves all of our problems. And somewhere in between, the regulators are having to um, make sure that it you know it doesn't turn out really badly and that it does turn out well and, and regulation is a part of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, who knows? Maybe people are more receptive to talking to a machine than I'm giving them credit for. You know, like I say, there are already these cognitive behavioral therapy, AI based chatbots on the market, and people seem to be genuinely using them and deriving some clinical benefit from them. So but I suppose the point is about transparency is that you can make the choice then, isn't it? That, you know, yeah. if you as a consumer or a patient, if you know, then it's your choice then whether you want to use the chat bot, the chat GPT, or actually you don't, you want to go and find a, a, a real person. And I think, yeah, as when the decision's there, I think you probably will find people choosing increasingly often to talk to a machine, as it were, maybe because they can't talk to a you know person and they get used to it and it's a cultural thing then isn't it yeah i mean stepping out of the digital health space for a moment i i think i would probably be very up for 
talking to an AI system if it meant that I didn't have to sit on hold for hours and hours listening to customer service music. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also check out HBW Insight at hbw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all the latest health, beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening, this episode continues now. Okay, so yeah, that's that's really interesting and really useful. I think yeah, this is this is stepping into kind of space beyond what consumer healthcare is at the moment, but it, it hopefully interesting to our listeners and maybe gives them a little bit of a heads up um, in terms of what they need to think about at least. I suppose you know thinking a little bit more philosophically, if you like, about um, the industry and and this aspect of you know, I suppose there's always this idea of like creeping regulation. I mean, they're seeing it a lot with AI, they're seeing it with environmental concerns. You know, this is becoming, you know, industries are becoming more and more regulated. You know, should they, you know, in your opinion, I suppose, uh, moving away from kind of technical aspects, do you think that, that I think, you know, that companies should be just embracing this now? Um, and especially thinking about the kind of questionable, efficacy maybe of some digital health uh, products that are out there you know rather than thinking oh well let's just avoid this altogether because it just sounds far too complicated or let's do something very low risk so that we you know we don't have to do all of this additional stuff should it really be about thinking right we really want to offer something meaningful you know maybe we do want to think about therapeutics maybe we do want to think about ai and actually embracing regulation. Yeah, I mean, like it or not, regulation in this space is here and it is here to stay and it is decidedly non-optional. You know, if you decide that, ah, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to put my product on the market and I don't care one way or another whether or not it qualifies as a medical device, I'm just going to do my thing, you are asking for trouble. You know, there are regulatory authorities who will take action against you up to and including criminal sanctions. It it is quite serious when you get to that sharp end of things. Um, But then, like, look, uh, making that decision whether or not to go down the path of making someone that something that is a genuine medical device or steering away from it and building something low risk. There's no denying that, you know, there is creeping regulation which is becoming steadily more pervasive and difficult to comply with you know the mdr was a big step up from the medical device directive framework that we had before we've got the ai act coming down the track as well and there's some other related things like the european health data space regulation which are on the horizon um so that really is just a a cost benefit analysis for for your business you know are you going to derive enough benefit from uh, having all of that additional functionality to justify all of the additional upfront and 
ongoing cost associated with uh, complying with this stuff. Um, I, mean, I, I should add, we have seen some companies take the approach that making a product which is genuinely functional enough and cool enough and effective enough to qualify as a medical device and undertaking a conformity assessment of that device and getting a CE mark for it, in their view, marks their product out as being the gold standard in this space, which is much more useful to their customers than their competitors who've taken the low risk, low functionality approach. And you know, some of them have really made a point of the fact that they have CE marks in their marketing material. Um, so make of that what you will. There are all kinds of strategies in this space. I mean, that's it's 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 a very similar conversation to what I've been having around uh, sustainability because I think it's a similar, you know, massive. I mean, the, you know, the green not to get into this, but the green deal, all of the regulations with that, you know, it's very onerous. But at the same time, you know, if you don't, you're not going to be able to make those green claims. And I think, you know, one of the points that some of the experts I've been talking to have been making is consumer healthcare firms are in a good position. You know, this is an industry where, you know, it's historically pharmaceuticals, uh, prescription, you know, businesses as well. You Basically, they're used to following uh, rules, regulations, doing all of these uh, checks, you know, clinical trials, all of this stuff, very expensive, very technical. Um, you know, maybe this is an industry that that really could take the bull by the horns with this kind of, uh, you know, this whole new area, medical devices, software as a medical device, AI. Yeah, conceivably, although pharmaceutical companies should never make the mistake of thinking that just because they understand how the medicines framework works, that they understand how medical devices work. I mean, it, it, it even, uh, you know, it, it's everything from the terminology which is used down to uh, the different constructs for how these things are regulated that are, are different. You know, we talked earlier about the different um, OTC versus prescription only classifications. And, and like I say, that, that doesn't exist in the medical devices world, but it's kind of achieved in a different way based on the way in which the device is authorized. Um, the, the clinical research construct is different. You don't have clinical trials here. You have clinical investigations, and those are subject to different rules. Some of the concepts kind of speak to each other, but but they are genuinely different. Yeah, that's good advice. So I think, I mean, the final thing is, and and please feel free to use this as an opportunity to um, you know plug uh, uh, what you know what you do because I think it's important. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what how can companies manage this risk you know what's the what's the what kind of help is out there uh, for companies that are thinking about doing this kind of thing well you have massively preempted the first part of my answer there which is seek advice you know <laughs> is, 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 there are professionals out there who, who do this stuff for a living day in day out um that's us that's other lawyers like us there's also regulatory consultants who are very very good at uh, helping a company compile all of the clinical evidence and technical documentation which is needed to undergo a conformity assessment. Um, but it, it, even beyond that, there are ways to be involved in this area without taking on the entirety of the enormous regulatory burden that goes with it. it, it another option is to partner up with a company that already knows how to do these things. 
Um, is it, that could be, you know, a, a joint development of a digital health product wh where you've got the great idea and maybe some of the resources and they understand the regulatory approach and you'll develop that product together. But when it comes down to it, they will take on the burden of being the legal manufacturer and undertaking the conformity assessment of that product. We've seen some of our clients um, take that to a whole other level and entirely outsource the production of a digital health product to a company that already knows how to do it. They will basically commission them and pay them to develop and then commercialize this product with uh, their branding all over it, although never exclusively their branding. That is a very easy trap to fall into, which is that if a product is placed on the market under only one company's trademarks, at that point, that company is deemed to be the manufacturer and they attract all of the regulatory burden. So if you're going to go down that pathway, make sure that you co-brand. There is very ready acceptance of that approach in this industry where so long as the branding of the company, which is actually intended to be the manufacturer, is on the packaging, you're staying relatively safe. The third option, maybe a little try, is just to sell out entirely. If you have developed a product which you think is brilliant, but you can't bear the regulatory burden of actually bringing this thing to market, sell it to someone who can take that on. Sell them all of the assets and the IP and all the rest of it so that they can go out and get a conformity assessment for that device and take on the further commercialization. I mean, yeah, they're good options. I think, you know, we are definitely seeing partnerships um, as a, I think, as a really major way that consumer healthcare companies are getting into this space. I think most of the big companies have set up some sort of initiative or even, you know, whole business that is or has already, you know, in some cases um, developed some kinds of services, maybe or or even products that where you have a yeah an expert business in this kind of area that 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 does this and they do it together. So yeah, I mean, I think that's an extremely compre <laughs> comprehensive <laughs> overview. I think um, you know I think you've you've shown your expertise quite well in in the kind of hour or so of of talk that we've done on this. I think it's an invaluable uh, you know kind of beginning. To, to get a grip of this area and, and I know I've learned a lot so I can only thank you for your time on this Jamie. Well thank you so much for having me on David it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.farmerintelligence.informer.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Farmer Intelligence Podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.